You are listening to The Real Faith Stories Podcast, interviews with people who chose to boldly follow their faith. I'm your host, Brian Robinson. Now, let's meet our guest and hear their story. Laura Neiser, welcome to Real Faith Stories. Really looking forward to our conversation today. Me too. Thank you for having me. Well, you have a coaching business for faith-driven entrepreneurs. And one of the main things that you do is you help them learn to manage their mind, emotions, and behavior so they can pursue their God-given purpose more effectively. Yes. Before we go there, you have quite an interesting story that you shared with me prior to us having this conversation and some amazing shifts that God brought into your life divinely that led you ultimately into this coaching business. So if you would, please share a bit of your backstory, and then we'll go ahead and move into those transitions that occurred. Yes, absolutely. Well, God is our Redeemer, and He, in my story, is it's a, it's a real journey <laughs> to getting to where I am now, but He really redeemed the brokenness that I experienced from some childhood trauma in my childhood and teens, I experienced some trauma there that really ended up in my mid-20s with me in a really serious clinical depression, like not being able to get up off the couch and leave the house and hold down a job, kind of serious depression. With the support of my husband, got into therapy, and my therapist, who was not a believer, asked me, what did you enjoy doing before the depression set in. And I told her, I love to learn. It doesn't really matter the topic. I just love to learn. So she gave me the assignment to help me get more structure in my life and begin to just kind of put a foundation into place to help me begin to recover. She wanted me to sign up for a class that had a high degree of accountability that would have homework every day that would have group meetings that someone would notice and call you out if you missed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so I was like, okay. But because I wasn't working at that time, I couldn't afford to sign up for like a community college class or something. But they were starting a couple of Bible studies at the church where I grew up and we were attending sporadically at that point. One of the classes was called Putting Away Childish Things. And it was teaching strategies, biblical principles, and things that would help you make peace with trauma in your childhood. And so I signed up for that one and had mind-blowing experience in mm. that. Our pastor was bringing to life the, the scriptures in a way that for the first time I could see relevance. I'd grown up going to church but at that point in my life, I I really could not have explained to you the gospel. I didn't really get what Jesus dying on the cross 2,000 years ago had to do with my life now. What did that save me from? I just really hadn't connected all the dots. And in that class, though, it was the first time that the scriptures were speaking directly to my pain and to where I was at and what had brought me there. And the pastor also taught us from a biblical perspective about healthy boundaries. And that was just 
such a foreign concept to me. Oh, we could say no to something. Mm. It was just amazing. And the transformation and the healing that I experienced in the, I think it was like 11 or 12 week long class was so profound that my therapist asked to meet with the pastor to find out like, what are you teaching her? <laughs> like, this is amazing. This is a non-believing therapist yes. who noticed such a dramatic change in your demeanor in your life yes. that this person said, let me talk to your pastor. I want to know what the heck they're teaching you. Yes. And they met and had a very fruitful discussion. It was really great. But I do, I think that like when we really encounter God, we are changed. And that was certainly true in my case. And I really was like, oh, this Bible study stuff, there's some good stuff in here. So when the pastor invited me to join a nine-month-long, he described it as a seminary-level Bible study class, I was like, sure, it fit all the criteria that my therapist had wanted, even more so than the short class. It was homework every day. It was a high level of accountability. You could only miss twice over those nine months. And so I signed up for that. And I have to confess, still at that point, I was still in a trauma response. And so even though I had a dramatic transformation, I was doing so much better, I was still clinically depressed. And I was also, because of my trauma, very cynical, very skeptical. And I was very honest with, with Steve, our pastor, that, hey, I'm really not sure I can go all in on believing the Bible. Like I had a real chip on my shoulder, to be honest. And that poor man, he was so patient and he was so kind. And he was like, bring all your questions, bring all your doubts, bring all your fears. It's all okay to explore. And that grace, that setting the stage for it being okay for me to ask all my hard questions. And he let me ask all my hard questions. And it was in that course, we started in Genesis at the beginning of the school year, so in August, and we worked our way through to Revelation by the end of May. Well, it was in Leviticus where I connected all the dots. And I was like, <laughs> oh, I get it. Like we had studied the Passover and then we got into Leviticus and we're studying all about atonement and the the sacrificial systems and sin and all of that. And I was just like, oh, I get it now. And it just really, I mean, not many people can say they really came to Christ by studying Leviticus, but that's where no it kidding. really happened for me. <laughs> Tell me about this. You came to Christ studying Leviticus? Yes. So many people have the story where it was like a moment. They mm -hmm. can give you the date and the time. For me, it was, and the pun is intended, it was more like a sunrise. <laughs> like <laughs> there was a moment, I don't, I can't tell you the exact day and, and time that it clicked for me, but I know that over that first semester of studying, and it was really just that 
steady time in God's word and in his presence and in a community of, it was a really diverse community of believers. There were people of all different ages in there, adult ages, and people who were just, they were sharing their own journey with me. And it was so powerful. So like, I don't have that, like it was Thursday, July, whatever. I don't have that, but I know like within about a month's time period, like that's where it all clicked for me. That made sense. Was there something that jumped out at you one day or several things that were just aha moments for you? I think for me, it was it was kind of the steady drip of encountering, oh, this is who God is. Because I had in my head, my vision of God had been very much negatively impacted by the trauma I experienced because one of the people involved in the trauma was always Jesus this, Jesus that, Jesus this. And yet I could see, like I associated her with, and that family with my trauma. And so for the longest time, I wanted nothing to do with Jesus because of that. And so for me, like being able to come to the scriptures in an environment where it was safe to share my fears, doubts, questions, skepticism, and have those addressed with such grace and such a profound sense of safety that as I really encountered who God reveals himself to be, it was just so healing. And so it was really, I think, just that steady drumbeat of of who God is and how he longs to interact with us. And that really, I think, was what did it for me. Isn't it incredible how we know, and I put this in air quotes, we know the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as a division of soul and spirits of both joints and marrow and able to discern the thoughts and intentions of our heart. It won't return void all the promises of the word and also that Jesus is the word, but we tend so easily to gravitate toward everything but the word of God. Yeah. Yep. That's right. I'm bringing this up because anyone listening to this who's struggling in your relationship in any way with the Lord, the answer is the Lord. The answer is the Word, right? Yeah. And so this led you into 25 years of serving as a director of discipleship at a 4,000-member church teaching Bible studies. I mean, you never dreamed you'd be doing this, did you? No. No. I could never have imagined it. It was definitely... An Ephesians 3 20, 21 kind of thing where it's like it was way more than I could have even begun to think about imagining. Yeah, the pastor who had taught me those first two classes, he ended up mentoring me. And that's how that journey began. He mentored me. He saw my spiritual gift for teaching and he really helped me to grow. In, in the word and in my faith and in so many ways. You ended up publishing a Bible study, speaking at retreats ultimately, and then starting a coaching practice. Explain how that transition occurred. I'd love to hear that. 
Yes. Well, I had small children. The job was very demanding when I was director of discipleship at this large church. At one point, there was, we'll just leave it as a conflict of values. And so I ended up resigning that position, even though I really loved it and I loved that church family, but it was time for us to move on. And so we moved to a new church and I was really kind of lost for a while, which was a good lesson for me because I think my identity kind of got wrapped up in that job as opposed to in Christ. And so I had to kind of reform, reacquaint myself with grounding my identity and security in Christ alone. And as I was getting involved in our new church and getting involved in Bible study there, there was an amazing woman, Barbara. She was an older woman who ended up mentoring me. And she found out I had written a Bible study and taught it at my previous church. And she asked me like, what are you doing with that? And I was like, well, I don't know. I taught it and now nothing. And she was like, well, do you really think God gave you that just to sit on a shelf? And I was like, "Mm, maybe not. But I love that statement. Do you really think God gave you that, fill in the blank, for it to just sit on the shelf? Exactly. It was powerful. And and I told her, I was like, I don't really know what to do with it. And she she encouraged me to just pray about that. And she really gave me a word of conviction. She was like, Laura, delayed obedience is disobedience. And so I was like, Ooh, okay. So I prayed about it that night. And I was like, God, I don't know what you want me to do with this, but if you'll show me the next step, I will take it. And I kid you not, that next day, looking up, something on a speaker website and came across a article and it was about like how to set up your blog, I think, or something. But I really liked the article. I clicked on the link of the author and it opened up to her website, which was Next Step Speaker Services. (laughs) I was like, okay, Lord, thank you. I need the two by four right upside that. That's great. And so I ended up working with her. She helped me do the initial steps of setting up like my retreat speaking and a blog and exploring what I could do with my experience and this Bible study that God had given me. And I started having more and more people coming to me once I had my website up where they were asking, could I talk to you and just get your perspective on things? I need someone who could help me kind of search the scriptures, find some truth. And I didn't know it at the time, but that was coaching. (laughs) So I started doing that and then figured out life coaching and just general executive coaching and stuff became more commonplace. I'm like, oh, that's what I'm doing. I'm being a coach. Mm -hmm. And so I actually decided if I'm going to do this, I really want to get some formal training in coaching. That was around 2018. I had been doing that unofficially for like four years. And then I went and signed up for a coach certification program. I want to seize on that, that you said you've been doing it unofficially for like four years. And then you finally said, oh, this is actually a business, right? Yes. And I think so many people take for granted the gift and the calling they have that just flows out of them that other people draw upon. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite sayings is we're stuck inside our own bottle and we need help reading the writing on our label. Oh, I love that. I use that metaphor in my coaching a lot, too. (laughs) Obviously, someone helped you read that writing and you started your coaching business. So now that you're in this coaching business, 
one of the things I see that you do a lot of is working with people's emotions and helping them understand those emotions. A lot of us believe emotions are not necessarily a good thing, right? Right. But how do you coach people specifically with respect to emotions? Perhaps share a couple scenarios that would kind of bring that up into the light. Yeah, I have a framework that comes out of my work around healthy boundary setting, and it's directly anchored in Galatians 6, 5, where Paul is saying we're each called to bear our own load. And so my framework is the bear up framework. And the top part of that, the bear part of it, is a behavior chain. That's what in psychology, it would be called a behavior chain. It's like a line of dominoes. When the first one tips, it activates the next one and then so forth and so on. So the the letters stand for your beliefs and your beliefs are what from a neuroscience perspective and scripture bears that up, our beliefs, what we're thinking and believing creates our emotional state and our emotional experience then drives our actions. So it's B-E-A and our actions, the way we show up driven by that emotional state and that belief is what will create our result in any given specific circumstance. And so emotions are good God-given gifts that help us become aware of our thoughts and beliefs. I always use the analogy of they're like the warning lights on your car's dashboard. They in and of themselves are just there as as an attention getter. They get our attention and they're like, hey, have a look under the hood. In other words, have a look at what's going on in your mind, in your brain, the thoughts you're thinking that are creating this. And have a look at how you will show up if you just react to this emotion, if you just go with the emotion. Mm -hmm. Do you like the result? that that creates for you. And it gives us a powerful tool of awareness that lets us see the impact of our thoughts and our emotions on how we behave and the results that behavior produces for us. So that if we don't like it, if if we're like, oh, that is not going to lead to a good place, or that's going to get me really out of alignment with my values or my goals of what I want to accomplish. Then I teach my clients how to process their emotions instead of react to them. And a lot of people think processing them is venting, like talking about it and letting yourself be all upset. No, that's a reaction to your emotion. That's acting out your emotion. Processing is being open to sitting with the emotion, paying attention to the thoughts that are creating it, and letting it pass through you without you acting on it if it's something that's not going to lead to the place you want it to lead to the result you want it to lead so we learn how to not react to our emotions but to hold space for them let them deliver the message they're designed to deliver to get our awareness about our thoughts and our actions and then we can decide Do we need to cultivate a different belief and emotional state so that we can show up the way we want to show up and be the person we want to be in that setting? So this begs the question, say you're in a heated moment with somebody 
you can't sit down and just start processing. Give me a minute. I'm going to sit down and I'll get back to you. Yes. But obviously this is something you do kind of offsite as it were to learn how to do that. Yes. And it's a lot like, it's a lot like studying the scriptures. We study the scriptures on a regular basis so that we have that stored within us. And so in the moment when we need it, we can draw upon it. And so when we're learning how to daily renew our mind, how to daily take our thoughts captive and have a look at our emotions and process them, it becomes our emotional processing is a skill that we develop. And once you learn it and you practice it and you develop it and you gain awareness about your specific triggers that do like get you into a high negative emotional state, you become so much more adept at being able to do the processing on the fly. And so in the moment, yes, you're not going to be like, hold on just a moment. I need to go have a, an emotional processing session here. But you are going to recognize like, oh, I feel my anxiety hyping up. I need to make space for that. And so while you're in the target aisle and your toddler's having a conniption fit, you're able to recognize like, oh, I'm getting embarrassed. I'm getting embarrassed because I'm worrying about what other people are thinking. I really want to focus on supporting my child and helping them get their emotions regulated. And so it's like, it's that kind of thing that can run under the surface but we're more conscious of what's going on in our bodies emotionally. And we recognize we're not feeling this because the child is having a fit in Target and people are looking at us. We're feeling the embarrassment and the anxiety because of what we're making that mean and the thoughts we're having about it. So it really is something that you do learn how to do it on the fly. You also learn how to have grace and compassion for yourself when you don't and you do react. And that's one of the big skills I help my clients learn how to hold space with grace and truth so that they can make it safe for them to assess like, oh, I didn't show up the way I wanted to in that situation. Let me hold some compassion for myself so that I can understand it, really see the truth of what was going on and make different choices next time, hopefully. That's huge. The whole idea of being compassionate toward yourself, the voice inside of us is a terrible taskmaster, isn't it? Oftentimes we get so angry with ourselves when we don't do something that we think we should be doing or we didn't do it quite right. Mm -hmm. And I have a friend who said to me one day, you know what you need to do, Brian? You need to tell yourself that you love yourself, that it's okay. Yeah. I thought that was the weirdest thing at first. And then I recognized that's the voice God would speak to me in, in a loving, fatherly it's how do I speak to my children if they mess up? Yeah. Right? But we're so critical inside ourselves with that voice. How do you help people overcome that instant critical voice that's so loud sometimes? Oh, that's such a great question. The vast majority of my clients are believers, although I do coach non-believers. And so I'll remind believers, like the greatest commandment, is we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we love others as we love ourselves. And it's important to recognize we can't love others well if we're not 
loving ourselves well. And our best model for loving ourselves well is Jesus. We love because God first loved us. And so when we can really take in God's love for us, his grace and his mercy that he lavishes upon us, we can see like, okay, God can love me and see all my flaws. It's not like Mm. he loves me and ignores my flaws. He sees those flaws, but he meets me first with grace to make it safe for me to see what I need to change. And that's how we get conviction instead of condemnation. When we are beating ourselves up, that's condemnation. When we are holding a space of grace and truth, It allows us to be convicted, which can lead to repentance, to change that takes us down a different model that creates a different result. But if we're in condemnation, part of what helps people is when I'm coaching them, I'm demonstrating the power of holding space with compassion and curiosity. And when we do that, it allows us to bring the truth and set it out there and look at it without being terrified of it, without it condemning us and leaving us paralyzed. It empowers us to change it if we don't like it. And that, I think, is just so powerful. And it's so aligned with how the Lord works with us. He comes to us with love and grace and mercy, makes it safe for us to then put all the truth of who we are on the table and let him begin to renew us into our new creation selves. This reminds me of the story in 2 Samuel where David wanted to build the temple for the Lord. And the Lord said, no, you're not going to do that, but your son will do it. And he talks about how much he's going to love his son, of course, which was going to be Solomon. But in between that is when he falls with Bathsheba, God still knew that. Mm Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And he still said, I'm going to let your son build this temple. Yeah. He's a God of redemption. It's overwhelming. Yeah. But that's the God of love that you're referring to. Yeah. If he's acting that way towards us, yet he still knows everything about us, as you said, then how can we not do that for ourselves? The enemy loves to have us have that critical voice, which is not what the Spirit of God would have us do. That keeps us trapped right where we're at. It's really very difficult to make effective transformation when you are paralyzed with fear and self-loathing. It's just almost impossible. What have you found to that point to be the best way to help somebody overcome that fear and self-loathing? The overarching framework I take someone through when I'm coaching them, and it's really three phases. You start with awareness. You can't change what you're not aware of. So we have to make it safe to get awareness about our current results, our current behaviors, you know, our current model. And then we also want to get awareness about where we want to be. What kind of models do we want to be running? How do we want to be thinking and feeling showing up? And what kind of results do we want to be creating? So we get awareness And I equip them with lots of skills to help them with that, real practical things. And then we can move into building authority. Phase two is where we build authority. I give them lots of tools for their emotional, mental, and behavioral toolbox to help them take that awareness and transform it into practical 
ways to live it out and really build your confidence that you understand what you're responsible for, what you're not responsible for, what your realm of stewardship is, is what I call it, so that we can look at where we might be trespassing into someone else's realm, where we might be abdicating responsibility in our realm, and really start to clean up some of that. And it builds our confidence that we can renew our minds. We can manage our behavior. We can process our emotions. And so that phase is all about equipping them, empowering them with the skill set to be able to do this. And then we move into the final phase, which is forging achievement. And that's where you go out and you start working on your, you know, goals. If you want to work on improving your marriage, really whatever it is that you want to change, you set that intention. I help them create a belief and an action plan because An action plan without the beliefs to drive it really is a recipe for procrastination and giving up. So belief plan and an action plan, I teach them how to leverage their calendar as a mindset tool to help them increase their awareness where they're not showing up the way they want to be showing up, how to take relentless action, which is very different than hustle kind of action. Relentless action is that determined, committed, I'm going to stick with this and keep doing it no matter how many times I fail. I'm going to trust that God's going to take this and work it to my good. And it's moving me closer to my ultimate goal. And so we use that phase to really help them put all of it into practice in the real world and and learn how to evolve it. Like, where do we need to evolve that action plan? Where are the beliefs? Like, maybe you're not fully in that belief. Let's see how we can tweak that to where it feels more fully true for you in this moment. So it drives actions you want to be taking. I love that process. As we finish up here, what is one of the most important pieces of advice that you tend to dispense to others? I think one of the most important things Because when someone's introduced to this work, the tendency is if what I'm believing creates my emotions and that drives my actions and that creates my results, well, then I should always be able to have positive emotions and beliefs going on. (laughs) And that's just not our human experience. It's not how God created our human brain to, to work. We have the two parts of our human brain. We have the conscious part, the prefrontal cortex, and we have that lower part of our brain that in God's amazing wisdom, he made our brains to where it can automate so much stuff so that we can really function in our life. And when we know that, we can recognize too that that lower part of our brain, it's top priority is keeping us alive. (laughs) And so it will prioritize us staying in our comfort zone because it knows we have survived that. (laughs) Like, you know, you've done this, you've survived it, you can stay here. But if we venture out and we try something we haven't tried before, our brain, that little inner voice goes, oh, I'm scared. I don't think we should do this. We may die. So my best advice is Remember, you have a human brain. We are not going to do this perfectly. And that doesn't mean we're messing it all up or we're not good enough. It's It just means we're human and we need God and we need the Holy Spirit and we need patience and compassion and we need to have mercy on ourselves. 
And we just need to keep taking that relentless action and trusting that God, he began a good work in us and he will be faithful to complete it and have patience with ourselves. How can people find out more about you, Laura? The very best way is to go to my website, which is lauranizer.com. You don't need the www in front of it. You can just put in lauranizer.com. And I have a variety of free resources on my services page, my work with me page. That's probably the best way. And you can also send me a message from my website. You can go to contact me, send me a message if you have a question or you know want more information about something. That's a really easy way to contact me. Perfect. As we finish here, I'd love to have you pray for our listeners, please. Oh, I would be honored. Oh, Lord God, you are love, you are truth, you are grace, and you are mercy. And we give you thanks and praise for that. Lord, I pray that that the person who is listening to this podcast right now, that you are bringing to light whatever it is that, that they need from you right now, that you are showing them what's possible for them in their life. Maybe they need help with being able to trust and lean into you. Maybe they need that permission that it's okay to have doubts and bring those questions to you. And whatever it is that they need, Lord, I am praying and thanking you in advance for how you're going to meet them right where they're at. You're going to show them that grace, that mercy, that unconditional love that they need to be able to take that next step closer to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Laura, thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Brian. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. Please make sure you subscribe to the show and share this with someone you believe would be encouraged and motivated by these stories. Until next time, I'm Brian Robinson reminding you that the greatest decision you could ever make is to ask Jesus Christ to become the Lord of your life. If you haven't done that, read Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 11. Thanks again for listening.